Welcome to the workshop. The workshop is an adult class facilitated by teachers and preachers from New West Community Church. The goal of the workshop is to equip and encourage those in the faith to grow in the strength and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within them. This series is the second part of our study in the book of Romans written by the Apostle Paul. Some of the content within the series has been edited out in order to shorten the length of each episode. If you want to learn more about the series, we encourage you to attend in person Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. We also look forward to your questions, comments, concerns, and suggestions. You can contact us by emailing Pastor Tim Carson at tim at newestcommunitychurch.com. Take care. You're out of you're out of town, and he banished all the Jews. That, uh, I think probably who weren't Roman citizens, but banished all the Jews from Rome. AD 49, and we see this uh, in Acts when Paul comes to Corinth, and there's a big fight, and, and but we see Aquila and Priscilla that are named there. I think it's Acts 18:2 where that shows up. Claudius died October 13, AD 54, and these kinds of degrees then expired, and the Jews were able to come back five years later. Now they come back, and the Roman church is largely Gentile. The church hasn't stopped growing, okay? And perhaps not all the Jews came back. So they go from a majority of one ethnic group to a majority of, of Gentiles. And now there's, we assume from what we read through Romans and elsewhere, that there's, there's, there's some kind of conflict going on here. So Paul addresses Jews and Gentiles all the way throughout, but it's a good way for also building a foundation for the gospel. So he makes the point, and we'll see this, or you have seen this, that the gospel comes through the Jews, the Messiah comes through the Jewish people. And I will also see in, in chapters 9 to 11 that God has not rejected the Jewish people. There's something called replacement theology. Uh, correct me if I get this not quite right, Paul and, and Tim, but it says because the Jews re rejected Jesus, uh, the church now replaces the Jewish people and inherits all the promises. Well, that's not quite true because, and Paul makes that point very clearly. But we'll get to that. Who was the emperor at the time Paul wrote? Nero. So one of the bloodiest emperors in terms of persecution. Okay, let's, let's dive in and look at some of the themes in Romans 1 to 4. Uh, I'm going to get through as much as I can today. Uh, just by way of a heads up, I'm, I'm teaching uh, today and next week. The following week, I have to be somewhere else. And I think Pastor Paul is going to cover that. So you, you get tired of hearing my voice every Sunday. You get a, a chance to hear someone else along the way. Romans 1. What is the gospel? So we see Paul dies right in. He's a servant called, set apart for the gospel of God. He lists a number of things. It's promised beforehand through the Holy Scriptures. So he's immediately anchoring it into Scripture. It's not something I saw the title of a book or, or uh, 
of a workshop by N.T. Wright recently. He says, you know, how Paul invented Christianity. And, you know, he's not discounting the role of Jesus, but Christianity, as he claims, as we understand it, is an invention by Paul. I'm, I'm oversimplifying what he says, but one of, one of the things that we did, I want you to focus on verse 5. Talk about, right away, Paul talks in verse 4 about uh, the resurrection from the dead. So we have the crucifixion and resurrection that shows up all the time in what Paul says, what Peter says throughout the New Testament. Um, but we see this phrase coming up in verse 6, to bring about the obedience, the purpose of the gospel of the obedience of faith, really important phrase, for the sake of his name, among all nations. And this is repeated at the very end, the second last verse in, in the book of Romans. Again, this idea of the obedience of faith amongst the nations. Um, we also last time looked at this for these first seven verses. We see there's a, a Trinitarian element in that. I'm not going to dwell on that again, but uh, we see Paul assumes the Trinitarian theology. Or understanding all everywhere he writes. Okay, uh, this idea of bringing about the obedience of faith is critical. The gospel is promised to the prophets, the scriptures, so it's anchored into uh, the scriptures of the New Testament, which was the, what we call the Hebrew Bible today, but uh, they were using uh, a, a translation of it called the, the uh, Septuagint, the Greek version of that. But both were available. And Paul says in verse 11, I want to impart to you some spiritual gift. Later on, we find out he's traveling there and wants some assistance. But he says in verse 14, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both the wise and the foolish. So I am. So this idea, he's under an obligation. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Why does he need to preach the gospel? The gospel to a church of believers. Why does he need to do that? This church has been around for probably 20 plus years. Well founded. Why does he need to preach the gospel? Okay, Susan's on the right track here. Strengthen their faith. Okay. So Dean says, believing that, make sure they're not believing something that's off track. Make sure that their theological compass is, is still on true north. Share with, well, you guys are good this morning to share with others. We need to understand the gospel. We've accepted it, but we need to understand it to better share the gospel. And, and the first few chapters, Paul makes the point that everyone's a sinner. He goes through Jew and Greek. So that, that, that point needs to be made. Uh, there's some religious backgrounds and people with no religious background who don't believe they're sinners. I'm not a sinner. I haven't killed anyone. It's okay to lie a little bit as long as your intentions are right. I'm not really a sinner. So it's important to understand that when you're presenting the gospel, there's no salvation without recognition that we're a sinner. So Paul gets into some of the elements of the gospel uh, versus uh, verse, I think it's verse 16, verse 17. Let me find it. So he talks about, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And what is it? The power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes the Jew first and to the Greek, the righteousness of God is real from faith 
for faith. And this is an interesting phrase if you unpack it. I'm going to suggest to you, and you have already actually answered that in a sense, the way you answered my question, the gospel is not just how do I get saved. What else is the gospel? The gospel is at least two parts. Yes, that's part of the gospel. That's how we get saved. And it's actually, actually, Susan, it's actually part of the second part. Okay, what else is the gospel? Faith is involved. Good news. Okay. The gospel is a big question. It's a big word. And I'm going to suggest to you there's two parts to it. One part is how do I get saved? What is the other part? Yes, there's evangelism. How I live after I'm saved is a big piece of it. Have you ever heard someone say, I need to have preached the gospel to myself? Some of that is, you know, how am I saved? What am I saved from? But we're going to see, starting in chapter 5, but more so in 6 and 7 and 8, how then do we live? The idea of the first part we're looking at is something about called, I mean, sanctification is a big word, okay? It's kind of a theme that's going on in, in some of these chapters, but it's also followed by, not saying, uh, justification. So if you're familiar with that, this is the great truth that Martin Luther rediscovered, that we're justified by faith. The righteous shall live by faith, Romans 117. The righteous shall live by faith. Yes. Yes. Oh, thanks, Hannah. That's, that's a great point. So it's, it's, yes, we're being saved from sin. There's repentance, which means turning away from something. Uh, but it's also living a new life. And if you think about it, much, perhaps even most, well, much of the New Testament is written about how do we live? How then shall we live? Okay. I mean, even, even the book of Matthew, if you read you know, Jesus, is much of the Sermon on the Mount, it's not just directed to the world in terms of living good, according to the teachings of Jesus. It's, many of those of his discourses are how does the church live? How do we live? Standards for, for, our, for our own life. So that's a rough, a rough breakdown. One to four, the need for, for salvation. Five to eight, living the new life. This idea of sanctification, we'll see that, uh, that, that word coming up more and more. So it's a very simplified view, but that's the major emphasis. How justification should result in sanctification. And then looking at the fruit of the gospel in our lives. In fact, Matthew 7, 19 and 20. Who will look that up for me? Matthew 7, 19 and 20. So we see this, we see this uh, a number of places, Paul talks about what are the fruits of the Spirit? How do you live by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit? So this is something he wants to develop. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. Right? Nevertheless, not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, the Son of God, who gave himself, who died and gave himself for me. I'm, I'm paraphrasing it roughly. So this is, in fact, Galatians is about this in a way. People going, wanting to turn back to a life of, that's governed by good works. So let's just, in the time we've got, I want to go into these into the chapters briefly and talk about what are the main ideas in these chapters. I won't get all the main ideas, and some of you might think, well, he should have said that's the main idea. But let's uh, look at Romans 1, 18 to 32. And here is my question for you, Romans 1, 18 to 32. 
And the question is, why is God's wrath justified for all of us? Why are we all correctly under God's wrath? And I'm going to give this as a table group question. Okay. So in your table group, in this range of verses, and you can focus in more tightly if you want. Romans 1, 18 to 32, why is God's wrath fair? Okay. Heads up. Let's report out. I heard some good talking going on, some good thinking going on. Let's start with um, this table here. Who's, who's reporting? On, you're reporting on behalf of your table? Okay. So she's referring to the, there's some of the creation myths in other cultures, one called the Epic of Gilgamesh and different ones that there's always a creator behind these stories. Every culture has a creator, someone who's created that. Even in North American indigenous culture, there's always a creator, someone who started it, someone or something. Okay, next table. And do we ever act and live like God isn't present? Do you ever say things or do things? Uh, I mean, if we're believers, Paul tells us we have the Holy Spirit living within us, right? And yet we do and say things that we obviously don't believe that God is there listening to us or we wouldn't say it, right, or do it. I catch myself on that, all the, not all the time. I should catch myself all the time, but I don't. Okay, uh, next table back. Who's the spokesperson? Okay, this table over here. <laughs> Listen, we've got only so much time today. And uh, last fall, I took too much time, some might say. Uh, getting through those chapters. So th this table here. Okay. And verse 18 says that not only do, do they know that, but they suppress the truth of God. So we actively suppress it. Um, okay. Again, this is supposed to be a review morning of several chapters. So uh, chapter two, uh, do you remember what the core elements of chapter two are? It, it has to do with the law. So Paul is saying in this chapter, both have the law of God, right? The Jews have the written law of God, but he also says that obviously the, the moral law of God is written on everybody's heart because we act in certain ways that have to do with morality, that they, we acknowledge that there is such a thing as right and something as wrong. Now, that can be subjective as people suppress the truth, but he's saying that the law is on our hearts and on our consciences. So verse uh, chapter 2, 14 to 16, the Gentiles all know what is wrong. 14 to 16. But there's something else that Paul starts to introduce here, and that is that righteousness cannot be achieved by good works. So following the law will never get you right with God. And Paul says elsewhere, the law is impossible to follow. Not that God has made something impossible for us to do, but because we are our nature and made in the image of God, our nature is broken and now sinful. It is impossible for us to fully fulfill the law of God. And God did provide a way in the law for, for people to still be right with him through the sacrificial system. But ultimately, Paul says that the issue here is that circumcision, because circumcision was given to the Jews as a marker of the covenant. So if you, yeah, on the eighth day, all the baby boys were circumcised. So this is a marker of the covenant, that they are living under the covenant of God. But it still requires, as Paul, as Paul says, and as it said elsewhere, circumcision of the heart cutting away of this idea of a flesh, so to speak, of the fleshly nature and the need for the creation of a new heart. Okay, so we see that in verse 29, 
chapter 2. Yeah, so the animal sacrifice was a temporary covenant covering because you see in, in, in the book of Hebrews, the author says that the, the blood of bulls and goats could never redeem us. But it was always a covering. It was always a looking forward to. I mean, why is Jesus called the Lamb of God? Why does John say, uh, John the Baptist say in, in, uh, in John 1, behold, the Lamb of God. Ultimately, there's coming one perfect sacrifice. And this theme is, is built throughout. So thank you for that clarification. That's good to keep in mind that the sacrifices themselves, because there's other places in scripture where people say, you know, praise in the temple and they're doing the, the rituals, but the rituals don't save. God says, your heart is far from me. That These things stink to me. I don't want them. Okay. So both Jews and Gentiles have the law of God. Both are accountable. Uh, Romans 3. What's the big theme in Romans 3? I'm assuming you guys have, uh, your memories are being jogged a bit now, okay? Some of the same ideas. Tell me what the big theme in Romans 3 is. There's also this idea that good works do not justify, which we, we already touched on briefly. So good works. Lots of people will say, I hope I can get to heaven because I've never done anything bad. or I haven't done too many things bad. And I've tried to, I hope my good works outweigh my bad. So just as an aside, Every religion in the world that I'm aware of is a works-based religion, except for the Christian understanding of reality. Every single one. So if you are Muslim, I, I went to a Muslim funeral a number of years ago, and there, the ritual was done in English. Um, and uh, and there's this pleading, oh God, on the day of judgment, please uh, judge the soul of our sister that she may enter into paradise. And may her good deeds be seen as outweighing her bad. All this, this idea of good and bad, even apparently Muhammad, you know, still speaking of, of Islamic theology, said that he didn't know for sure if he was going to get into heaven. So if he is the only person who gets into heaven for sure in Islamic theology is a martyr, someone who dies, you know, while defending the faith. Or, that's why you get these suicide bombers in part. It's guaranteed ticket. But no, every religion in the world, Every single one is based on, on works, getting your karma right, going through cycles of rebirth until you're good enough. Okay? And Paul says, what does Paul say to that? You're not justified by works of the law. Okay? In Romans 3.27, he introduces, introduces this idea of law of works versus the law of faith. I am going to give you one more uh, activity here. Because I want you to dig back in and remember some things. We actually spent uh, two or three weeks last fall on just one passage. But I'm going to throw it back at you again. Romans 3, 21 to 26. Romans 3, 21 to 26. Got that written down for your small group discussion? What is the gospel from Romans 3, 21 to 26? Okay, in your groups now, have a discussion about this. Okay, just two more minutes. What is the gospel? Okay, heads up. What is the gospel? As Paul has summarized, these are very dense verses. Even the commentators note that this, these verses here are very, very dense, very condensed. Lots, lots of lots to think about. What is the gospel from these verses based on what we've said so far? So I'll start back at this table back here. Who's your spokesperson? Okay, sin-bearing sacrifice, the result of which was? Yes, but with respect to God. Because we're under his wrath. And now what? 
Why did why do people have to die for their sin? Or why does it have to be punished with death? God kind of tough, mean old God. And that goes back to what God promised Adam. God gave Adam a test. And the day you eat of it, you shall die. But he was gracious. It didn't, wasn't on that calendar day. But that is when death came. And we've seen Leviticus 11, I think it is. The life, the blood, the life is in the blood. So the pouring out of blood represents the life. And Jesus' life was sacrificed on our behalf. So God, God stated, here's the penalty because of the loss of face, the sin against God, because we will go with his enemy. We are his creation, but we turn and we, we uh, ally with his enemy, who is Satan. So we rejected our creator, our father. And the penalty for that is in the eyes of a holy, pure God who cannot stand sin is death. So propitiation is, in a sense, putting God's, God right, putting, regaining his favor, if I can use that word favor. But it's more than that, as we'll see as we go through. It's not just I'm saved from my sin, but I'm saved now to live a certain way. And that will come out as we go forward. Okay, I'm just going to, I just wanted, I want to get your heads into that, uh, just by way of reminder as we go forward here. This idea of redemption in Jesus, 1 Peter 1.18 talks about being ransomed. Someone, I think Irenaeus said, well, the ransom was paid to Satan. There was no ransom paid to Satan. It was God justifying his mercy and his love and his wrath. All, char all characteristics, God satisfying the just need for a penalty to be paid. And in fact, he ended up paying our penalty for us. Okay, uh, Romans 4. I'm just going to tell you some things here. Romans 4, now we're moving on to justification by faith alone. And, and uh, Paul pulls up this idea of Abraham. Because didn't Abraham have the covenant? And Paul makes the case, and we covered this last fall, that in fact, Abraham was justified by faith, not by works. So he received the covenant afterwards, the covenant of circumcision. The law came 400 years later. So there was this idea of faith. Abraham is justified by faith, not by covenant or not by law. Romans 5. We are still looking at, I'm just going to give you a preview now of what's coming up. Justification results in reconciliation. And that is part of this idea behind being right with God, right? This idea of being propitiated, made right, now having the favor of God. Romans 6, the word sanctification starts to come up frequently. You just look at where these words appear in these chapters. Where does justification appear? How many? Then you see how, where does reconciliation appear? Where does sanctification appear? And chapter 6 has quite a strong emphasis on that. In fact, this idea that Paul loves, that we are crucified with Christ, so our old life is gone. I mean, how does someone who is steeped in sin, habitual sin, uh, deeply marred by sin, escape that? And sometimes there's a lifetime of dealing with that, but it's, being, it's the idea of being crucified with Christ. Okay? And then the fruit of the freedom from sin and just look at 622. I'm just picking certain verses out here for now. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Okay, so sanctification is strong on there. Romans 7, we get into some, Paul gets into some ideas of, of our ongoing struggle with sin. And there's a question, is Paul talking about himself in the last part of this chapter where he says, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things that I 
you know, so this idea was of what's going on here. And is that Paul being rhetorical or is that <coughs> sharing from his own, his own life? However that goes, that question goes, Paul recognizes an ongoing struggle with sin as, as the process of sanctification goes forward. And as we are more and more sanctified, by the way, who can give me a quick, a quick definition of sanctification? What, is, what does it mean to be sanctified? Set apart. Made clean. Uh, it's the same root word for we get saints. So you're not a saint because you've done miracles and lived a good life. You're a saint when you are uh, in the kingdom of God. So Paul gets into that a little bit. So Romans 7, struggle of sin. But that leads into Romans 8. And that beautiful verse, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 9 to 10, 9 to 11, Paul now shifts and talks about, well, what about, what about the Jewish people? And he gets into that. And my summary statement for this actually comes from John Piper. There's, there's a lot of good things here, but one of the reasons that Paul talks, spends three chapters talking about the state status of the Jewish people. Remember, not all. Not all Jewish people condemned Christ. Many believed, many followed. But official Judaism rejected Christ and, and does to this day. And according to Piper, I'm going to hide behind Piper for a second. Uh, one of the reasons, not all of them, one of the reasons that Paul spends this much time on what's going on with the Jewish nation, they have not been rejected, is to underline the fact that God remains true to his promises, even though we are unfaithful. Okay? So, uh, and that is something to hold on to in the Christian life. Even when I sin, there's a way of repentance. There's a way of coming back. It's not that I lose my salvation because I sin. Okay. So Paul makes that point very clearly. So Romans 12, which you are all going to memorize. Who's not going to memorize it? Let, let me see your hand right now. <laughs> how, many of you knew the, how many of you knew the first two verses of Romans 12 when we read them? How many knew them? Come on, hands up. Okay. Uh, like I'm not going to jump on you guys because you guys have the fortitude to come in here at 9 o'clock or 5 to 9. So I, I'm really pleased that you're here. This is delightful. But uh, we are all going to memorize this chapter. And even if we have to take a few minutes each Sunday to do some recitation. It's an, listen, two verses a week. You guys memorize far more than that passively just through the advertisements you hear and see different things you look at. You memorize so much every week. I'm just saying now do it formally, and it's going to help. It's going to help tie so much together for you. Okay, Romans 12 is living the Christian life. In summary, yes, Paul, there's a lot of dense theology in Romans. You can go as shallow as, or deep as you want. You do not have to dive down deep. You can get lots just swimming on the surface. But Romans, and, and Paul does teach us how to think theologically. So it's a book that's worth reading several times. The more you read it, the more that sticks, you start to see connections. So you, you do get a lot of lessons on how to think theologically, but here's the thing I want to leave you with, and we're done with this. Romans is a very practical book, very practical book. You look at how Ephesians is laid out. First three chapters are dense, rich theology. Then four, five, and six are also rich, but very practically oriented. Okay? So we have somebody here who has actually memorized Ephesians. It's that, is that, that important to that person? So I'm asking you to memorize 12. 12 has not got a lot of esoteric theology in it that you've got to struggle with. It is really straightforward. It is beautiful. 
And uh, you will be glad that, so I'm glad that no one put their hand up saying I'm not going to memorize Romans 12, okay? <laughs> but I want you to understand, think of this fall, that Romans is a very practical book, and the chapters we're looking at in particular will help us better live the Christian life. Okay, that's it for today. 